Welcome to the Fierce Joy Podcast. I'm Anastasia, a holistic health coach, yoga instructor, entrepreneur, and a mother to far too many children. Life is too short to feel overwhelmed by too many things and too many people pulling you in too many directions. This is a space to have honest conversations with women and about life so that you can lead with strength, freedom, and joy and go out into the world and do all the amazing things that you're here to do without losing your mind. Oh, and have some friggin' fun along the way. This is it. This is your life. Hello and welcome. I am very excited today to have Alex Prince, who is a St. Paul resident, and she is a mixed media artist who lives in St. Paul, which I just said. So she's definitely in St. Paul. She recently got involved in local government because of her passion of historical preservation and volunteers for the Minnesota Pocket Pet Rescue because she's not allowed to have any more guinea pigs herself. So thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much. It's quite an honor to be here. Yeah. If only we could be in person. Oh my God. I know. Exactly. Yeah. Oh my God. Well, I, I love talking to you originally when we first met, because I think like so many women, uh, you've got a lot of interests and passions and I love that because that's a bit of who I am. So I would love to, you are an artist in mixed media and that's just a piece of who you are, but I would love to hear a little bit more about your artwork and why you love it. Sure. Um, I will say I started working on art seriously back in high school. I'm originally from Brockton, Mass. Um, and it's kind of how people describe it as like a inner city. It's a gigantic high school. I think at the time I, that I went there, there were about 4,000 people there. Um, so gigantic. High school. Yes, big high school. My mom, um, she's retired now, but she was a photography teacher there. And so I just kind of needed to fill my schedule with some things, had an interest in art. I started in photography and I'm talking like black and white, black and white darkroom photography. Um, and she, that was actually her passion was working in, in photography in the darkroom with students. Um, later on, I got more involved in other art, mixed media, kind of, we call them architectural, architectural portraits. Basically, I would take old doors and I would, um, like kind of carve into them, have some type of drawing or photo element. Um, when it was time for me to go to college, I couldn't really think of doing anything else aside from art. So I ended up majoring in studio arts and got experience in drawing and painting. Um, when I finished college, I actually moved out to Minnesota. Um, so I went out, I went to college pretty close to my hometown and came out to Minnesota. Uh, my aunt lives out here. And one of the draws for me was that St. Paul and Minneapolis are really great places for art. And I enrolled in a program at Minneapolis College of Art and Design. Um, that was incredible because I actually got to be surrounded full-time by artists, aside from my part-time jobs. Uh, but I was really, as opposed to going to a liberal arts school where you have business majors and, you know, a football team <laughs> and all that stuff, MCAT is 
straight art. Um, and I think they've expanded things since then. But um, just to be walking in the hallways and seeing all these things all the time and, and having that in, in your head of that question of like, is this art? Is this not art? Um, it's really great. And I think um, being in that again was really, really important to me. Um, so once I finished my program at, uh, at MCAD, I started thinking a little more seriously about being involved in art history. And so I applied to get my master's in art history. I actually ended up going back east for that in Amherst. And, um, and once I finished that, I decided I got to come back to Minnesota. I love it here so much. And the interesting part about that coming back was people were all of a sudden really jazzed about me being an artist. And I kind of thought like, well, I went to school for art history. Now all of a sudden you're like excited about me being an artist. Okay. <laughs> um, and when I moved back to the Twin Cities, I had a really tough time getting a full-time job. The good side of that was I got to really work on my art. And um, so I started uh, working on collages, getting super inspired by vintage materials. So I started working with old magazines, old cookbooks. I just love the colors in there. And since then, that's kind of what I focus on is mixed media collage. So. What you'll see um, on my Instagram and what you'll see um, kind of presented as my art is usually collages, analog collages made by materials from cookbooks, magazines, mostly women's focused um, from the 1950s and 60s. And um, you'll see actually photographs of the collages. So much of my art is actually photography of the collages um and art of your art yes art of my art mm -hmm. and it's been interesting to see of course we haven't had any in-person shows lately but it is always interesting to see what um people are responding to when I was doing a lot of prints of these photographs of collages I got a lot of people saying I like the original stuff I want I want to see the folds of the paper I want to see um, I was stitching into a lot of the collages I want to see the actual thread um, and then of course I, I start doing more of that and then people say I really like the prints yeah. um, so that's that's the nature of art but um, it's always really cool to see how people uh, interact with the art I had a lot of people who are I would say probably in their 50s 60s and 70s responding to my work because this is the stuff that they grew up in. This is, this is the refrigerator they had. This is the candy that they had um, or, or that their grandmother had. And so um, I love hearing stories about that. And um, I sometimes think about what it would be like for me to look back or to look forward, say 30 years from now and seeing somebody making collages using like Vogue and uh, <laughs> things. And I, I just wonder what that will be like for me. Hopefully I get there one day, but. I'm, yeah. I'm curious when you have chosen this genre of Im images, did, were you just naturally drawn to them or were you trying to say, like, did you start with something in mind or were you just naturally drawn to this area of time? Yeah, I think I was just naturally drawn to this area. The 
prints and the colors in magazines back then um, just really appealed to me. I think also um, my grandparents were a huge part of my life where I grew up. And so just kind of seeing that era of like where they came from, um, of course, back then women, most women didn't work. And my grand, my two grandmothers were in that boat. And, um, and so when you look back at some of these magazines, it's really funny what you see. You'll see lots of, well, first of all, lots of the products are the same. Like you still see Lysol, you still yeah. see um, certain ivory soap, like things that are still around today. Um, but then you also see ads for smoking, like doctors, you know, this doctor smokes like, and then you'll see ads for like how to, how to be a great housewife and like things that you just don't see today that would be considered politically incorrect and all that stuff. That's actually um, sort of interesting because it's, yeah. I almost think those ads do still exist, right? Like this limited view of women, they're just a little bit more subversive, right? Like yeah. you still need to be the mom, the wife, the, you need to still do all these things. But now not only do you have to be the housewife who looks good, you also have to like work and be interesting and you know, be in charge of everything and run and volunteer and do like, you still sort of, I don't know, right. it still seems like the shiny image of like, everything's fine. We're all fine. A smile, look good. Cause that's, or you right. have to be a hot mess, like one of the other. <laughs> totally. And I think, um, there's a lot of movies recently. And of course I'm blanking on, on some of them, but you know, the, the mom is, all of a sudden forgets, oh, there's a bake sale. So let me go to the store and buy something, but then put it in something so it looks like I made it myself. Right. And I'm not a mom, but I still kind of like identify with that. And I have lots of uh, friends who are moms. And I'm sure, especially nowadays, they're kind of in that position of like really playing multiple roles um, in terms of like working with their kids on their work, trying to work from home while helping their kids um, and trying to cook and, and do all that stuff. And lots of, lots of guys do that too. But I think for the most part, I'm really feeling for uh, a couple of my friends who have multiple kids with multiple schedules and uh, various in-person, non-in-person, <laughs> hybrid. And of course, these are still all shifting. Um, but yeah, in some ways, uh, I, I remember even my grandmother saying, um, we, it was easier. Um, and she, she really liked that role of, of being a stay at home mom. But I think also she wasn't somebody who felt like she had to make things perfect, um, or looked perfect all the time. And sometimes this is what you get. <laughs> yeah, and I think there's also that. Yeah you know, I think my grandma said the exact same thing. Like you people make it so complicated, but she really had limited choices and she was fortunate enough that she fit into those choices. You know, she was mm -hmm. relatively attractive. She was interested in a person of the opposite sex. She wanted to be a mom and have kids and she wanted to be a teacher. And so she fit the mold. Right. Um, and now there is no mold, which is great, but it, it makes it more, I mean, straight up, this is a problem of privilege, right? That we can right. take the time for this conversation, that we can have, have these 
existential crisis because we have time and money and space to have them. But I think that does become a challenge of this idea that you can have everything then becomes overwhelming and you're trying to have it all at the same time and the pressure you put on yourself. And right. So there is this simplicity and beauty if, if, if you fit into the box, which just not everybody does. Right. Right. <laughs> I'm, I'm a little curious about, I, I think because I come from like a photography background and an entrepreneurial background, um, there's always this interesting moments in time when you love what you do, you're passionate about what you do, but then there's the reality of the bills. <laughs> so I would be sure. curious just about your transition from, you know, there's this beauty that happens in school and in college where you're an artist and you're being fueled as an artist and you believe in this art and this creativity and then life happens. And how did that transition for you as far as like, okay, now I'm in this great artist bubble and I'm going to school for art history. Like what was your vision for your future? And then what was the reality of kind of what happened next for you? Yeah. I mean, I will say I had, um, I sometimes struggle when I hear people say like that they're going to school uh, or they're going to college to get a job because I know when I went to college, I don't want to say that was the last thing from my mind, but it definitely wasn't the first, you know, um, but, uh, I think part, part of the reason why I went to college is because I believed in education and I got really good grades and that's just what you do. Um, and so I was excited about that, but when I did finish college, I was burnt out, um, and I will say, I think my undergrad didn't do the best job at like setting up art majors and kind of people in that realm to think about careers. So I'll actually say like, I think the year after my undergrad was probably the, one of the hardest years of my life because I felt really lost. Um, I felt like a lot of my friends who were business majors, um, or like kind of in the sciences and things like that, they had jobs lined up ahead of time and there wasn't kind of that worry um, that I had. And so I felt really lost. I also knew I still wanted to make art. Um, eventually I decided to focus on a move to Minnesota. And so that was kind of my priority. And so I learned art when I went to MCAD, more art. And I also learned, um, a lot about part-time jobs and saving money or not saving money and um and then eventually I I um while I was working on my art I was also working a lot with kids in after school programs and before school programs and so I just thought well I really like kids um if I if I can't make a go at making art full-time which is kind of I never really wanted to to do that anyway I never saw myself as somebody who was just going to be in a studio all day long um I thought well I can make art and I can work with kids so I ended up working at a daycare which was such an amazing experience uh, I highly recommend it also extremely hard work <laughs> um, but I also got to make art with kids at the daycare which was great so um so when I was kind of working at the daycare and, and figuring out what my next step would be, I noticed that a lot of the jobs that looked appealing to me required an art history degree. And of course, that's like, you know, working in museums and, and galleries and, 
doing all that stuff. And so the next natural step for me was to get a degree in art history. Um, I will say once I was in grad school, I became really disenchanted with academia. And, um, and I realized like, I, I probably don't want to be an art history professor. <laughs> I'm not a great teacher. Um, I was also what, str what struggling. Do you mean, what do you mean by that? When you became, what became disenchanting about it? I think I realized how, um, it wasn't even that my program was particularly competitive. We all, I became really good friends with a lot of people in the program. Um, but I felt very unsupported by the faculty um, for the most part. Um, one of the requirements when I was in, um, and I think it's actually probably still there, uh, when I was in grad school was that I had to pass a language exam. And so that was just a translation. I could pick whatever language out of the four, I think it was Italian, German, French, was, I don't know if there was Spanish. Anyway, there were, there were several, several options. I've always been terrible with languages. Um, I, and part of it might be to, I haven't been like thrown into learning a language. I haven't like gone to France and just had to fend for myself. But anyway, um, I ended up failing this exam three times. And in my program, you had to pass this language exam before you could do other, other exams to help you graduate. And so I basically had, because I couldn't pass this, I had gotten uh, my assistantship, my TA ship taken away. Um, but I also wasn't offered resources on like how to pass this exam. Um, <laughs> so you and must I, do it, but we're not really going to help you or tell you. Right, exactly. And so instead, I, I, all I did was I enrolled in a French class, um, which was also weird because I, I was basically thirty in a undergrad class with mostly like 18, 19, 20 year olds. And the translation exam was just a written exam. It wasn't um, what you do in a typical French class, which is uh, speaking to one another and occasionally translating. Um, such a, I mean, I think that's such a good point because I think there's this huge shift in education about, I, I value education and I've had access to education, but there are real life skills that aren't necessarily taught. And then just the logic of, I'm like already confused by your story, how this one translation has to do with art history in four random languages. And then your responsibility is to spend six, like $2,000 on a class plus a semester. And, and so we don't look at like the logic is almost lost on some of these programs, um, right. how they apply, how they actually apply or how I mean, I think when I'm trying to get my kids to succeed at something, I don't say you don't pass, you can't move forward until you do each and every one of these things. You go like, right. hey, well, that you, that didn't really work. Like my daughter too has low muscle tone. It's like, I'm not going to say climb these steps and you can't have breakfast until you get to the top. It's like, oh yeah, that's that's not your skill set. Let's try something else. Right. <laughs> like a logic. Exactly. Yeah. And you're the one who pays for it. Right. And in addition to that, I also had, um, and she was really great. I, I hired a, a professor at a local college to uh, tutor me. 
but that's, you know, I don't know how much it was an hour. Um, and, uh, that was just a sacrifice that I made while I was working part-time and all this stuff. So anyway, I, I just felt pretty unsupported. Um, I did have a few really, really great professors. Um, but I will say like one of the things that, that upset me about academia is that I had some professors that were really great lecturers. Uh, they were just fascinating to watch. They were, you know, it was almost like an act in a way. Um, and I loved being in there and I loved listening and, and learning about all these buildings and works of art. And I did my work in reading uh, about all these things. And, but a lot of them weren't there when it came to mentoring. And um, I had lots of questions. I had to read a lot of things independently. And I got lots of like, I, I believe in you, uh, which is great to hear. But my point was, if I'm in grad school and I'm paying this and I'm putting time in, I can be at your office any office hours you have available. And I got a lot of like, I trust you, um, which was maybe supposed to be empowering, but I didn't find it that way at all. Um, I found it to be pretty dismissive. And um, eventually I did get my degree, but I wanted to get out of <laughs> academia. Um, and I'm actually really happy I, I made that decision and eventually came back to Minnesota. Um, struggled with getting a job again, but uh, I, I now work for, I'm now back in academia. <laughs> um, After so, that whole thing, oh my yeah. God. Oh, screw that. Um, so now I work for the University of Minnesota, but I work as an admin assistant in the Department of Pediatrics and um, specifically the Division of Neonatology. And although that is academia, it feels very much more um, practical, at least my job. I'm helping people with their CVs. I'm helping people with schedule, you know, scheduling things, scheduling Zoom meetings. Um, some of what I'm doing now is I've actually just been tasked with uh, creating a Google site to help one of the docs with one of her papers. And so um, I see their struggle and I see all that they have to do. And I honestly don't know how they do it all. Um, especially some of them who also fill multiple roles like vice chair of the department and, uh, you know, also our moms and dads struggling with distance learning and all that stuff. But it somehow feels much more, uh, especially nowadays that we're in a pandemic, it feels much more um, important and pressing. And uh, so I'm, I'm happy to be back, but not being the one that's having to write the papers and stay up late. And um, I will say, like, I, I have I've had friends that have said, I, I'm thinking about going back to school. And part of me is just like, no, <laughs> don't, <laughs> don't do it. It do is it. Yeah. our life experiences, right? You have to sort of watch it a little bit of not, you know, filtering someone else's life experiences right. through your own, but just like trying to give those little pearls of wisdom, like, what have you thought about this? another alternative. Yeah. I do love what I love about that story is so often in life we have this great idea of what we want or what our next steps is and it and it feels it can feel very disheartening when what we thought we wanted kind of that illusion is broken um especially when we have those negative experiences and yet on the other side of it it's I'm 
you're so grateful for those lessons because you're not stuck in this world of academia or whatever it is for you that it, it really wasn't where you were meant to go. And that's not who you are, but that can be really hard to learn those lessons of, you know, you've built your whole life up to this moment and then no, thank you. That's right. And then you're exactly. Like, Crap. Now what am I doing? <laughs> exactly. And I will, I think being, um, being kind of like somewhat in the medical world now, I think if I had a friend who was considering being a doctor or being a nurse or, or, um, being a social worker, these kind of like very practical real world things where you learn medical skills. Like you can only be a doctor if you go to medical med school. Then I'm more like, yes, go, <laughs> go do your thing. Um, I think I'm, I've become, which is weird saying like, I have basically three art related degrees and I kind of regret it. Um, I, I think I would have, I, I don't regret learning a ton about art and learning a ton about art history. What I do wish I had done more of was veered more towards like a, a practical business side of things like graphic design or, or something to that effect. I, and I can still do those things. I can still take courses and all that stuff. Um, but when I do have friends that are, or family members that are thinking about majoring in philosophy or, or something along that line, I'll say like, well, get a minor, consider getting a minor in business or consider getting a minor in, in something more, more, I hate to say money oriented, but, uh, but I think also like the nonprofit and the philosophy world need more people that have like the practical business. I, I mean, I think of that in my business and when I meet, I mean, this is a huge overgeneralization, but when I was doing photography as a business or even now in my own health coaching business, you know, you do money is a part of this world. And, and as a woman, as a woman, as a woman, <laughs> I'm only one right now. Um, but there's, you know, you need to know how to stand in your power and ask for your worth and run your business. And even if you're not running it, this is a part of life. And I don't think that there's enough conversations about it. And I think that my own education, the fact that like, I think about the fact that they, schools just loaned me a shitload of money and never said to me like, you know, you're trying to be a teacher and you're going to a private school. So do you know that it will take you 10 years to pay off this student loan because when you're 20 you're just like I'm gonna change the world it's great and nobody has those like that feels unethical to me that there's not these conversations that great get a philosophy degree but also know how to balance your checkbook and know this will be your cost of living and you can do it on part-time jobs or you can like but here's the practical skill set and I think that's I think there's value in education, but there's a huge loss of your brain isn't even fully developed and they're taking a ton of money from you and your family. And then just, right. you know, like, I just think of that professor going like, you know, you've got this. Well, you <laughs> don't, you're, tw you're 20, you're 20, yeah. you know, like you're coming for guidance because you're this. But she's the expert, right? Like right. she's, she's the one, um, and I think one of the other tests that I had uh, when she was kind of like, you got this, um, basically I was given a list of 
I can't even remember how many books I was my you had to pick a kind of like a concentration so mine was 19th century uh, European history so lots of Manet, Monet, Rodin um, you pick your you you kind of pick your focus what you what you like to what you like to focus on and so I was given these huge dense books and I'm very much a take notes on every like take notes on the pages type person and so these are dense things and you have to look up a lot of stuff and so I'm just reading these on my own um, I just want to know like what are the major themes I should be looking at um, what what artworks are, are really the most important um, but these are essentially art historian philosophers in a way um, and like I said it's very dense stuff and so I wanted to have just a little bit of guidance when I'm sitting there and I'm going to have to write a, an essay on them and to pass this other test um, and then I also had to do an oral exam uh, talking talking about all these things and and I got some your oral exam disappointed me and I felt bad about that but not really because I wasn't supported I, I didn't get to ask these questions um, so it was really tough um, and I was happy to be I was happy to be done with it and um, to have my degree like I said I had some really great professors. I met some really amazing people. I met some pe amazing people that weren't in my program. I lived upstairs from a group of geologists who have become my best friends for life. And so sometimes when I look back, I think like, oh, I regret this decision to go to, to grad school for art history. But then I think, well, I wouldn't have met this person and that person. And, well, and, and regret is yeah. such an interesting thing. Cause I mean, I for sure have those two. And yet, yeah, you don't get the life lessons. You don't get the friendships. You don't get the experiences that have brought you to who you are. Right. And the, what you have to offer others if you don't have those. So on one hand, oh my gosh, there's so many things I wish I could have pulled out of my younger self. And on the other right. hand, it's what makes me so empathetic to others. It makes me understand others' loneliness or pains or regrets or sad. I mean, so it's that, oh, you can't, I really <laughs> wish you could have one without the other, but you can't quite, I don't think you can. Right. Oh, uh, I, I, I love, I mean, I love art history. I, I will not be getting a degree in it, but I find it really fascinating. And I yeah. am going to kind of pull this along to you also recently semi-recently got involved more with local government because of your passion for this. So I would love for you to share a little bit more about um, that aspect of it, if you want. Sure. So um, I'll start by saying my, my aunt is a city council member in St. Paul. And so I've always been super proud of her and she's been involved in the, pol the local political scene, political scene for a while. And I've gone to her fundraisers and um, every once in a while I would hear her have conversations of, you know, about politics and stuff. I lived with her while I was going to MCAD. Um, and every time we would go to a coffee shop, which is, you know, back when you can go to coffee <laughs> shops, um, she would always get pulled in by somebody and in, in from the city or a neighbor and, you know, how about those potholes and uh, what about the trash debacle and all this stuff. And so I'd always see like how much uh, her life was impacted by what she did. And, um, and I kind of always thought like, oh, God, I wouldn't want that 
<laughs> but I also realized like how much of her life outside of, you know, a nine to five job she puts into the city and what she loves. Um, so one day I was at her house and she looked really pained by something. And usually I always say like when I would talk to her about stuff and hang out with her, it was like, who wants to watch some TV? Anyone feel like some TV? And so we'd watch, uh, you know, something silly, you know, some type of sitcom or something on Netflix. And, um, but this day, this particular day, she said, oh, I just can't shake this. And I've been losing sleep over this. And to me, that wasn't like her. And so she told me about this church that was basically slated for demolition in St. Paul. And I didn't have to hear much before I thought this isn't right. Um, and so I learned a little bit more about the projects and, um, and, um, what about was what was going on at St. Andrews and um, and eventually wrote this, people were calling it an article. I loved her article. Really, it was just a Facebook post and I was talking about a church in St. Paul and I was bringing some awareness about the project um, to people that I knew that I'm still Facebook friends that are in the art history, art, you know, architecture world. Um, and then also just people that live in St. Paul that might not know about what was going on and basically a church was uh was under um under threat from a school and this the school had used this this church for a while and just said it's not fulfilling our purposes anymore uh the kids will even tell you it needs to come down and and I was just kind of thinking like kids can teach you a lot they really can like I loved working with them I I learned a ton from them, but as far as like the historical preservation side, <laughs> of it, like they might not know too much. Um, and so, so, so I kind of I wrote this. Will tell you, yeah. Um, like, okay, I'm glad a, a kid is telling me that they need a new place to have a, a basketball hoop. Cool. Um, so uh, at the time, it was also like. And I believe shortly after Notre Dame had had its fire and people were just outraged about what had happened and super sad and giving tons of money to help rebuild this church where they had built, you know, had so many memories. And, um, and I, of course, am a art historian. I love Paris. And I remember going on the boat on the river and seeing all, you know, seeing Notre Dame and how beautiful it is. And, and so it was like, this was, an, you know, Granted, this is a church that has uh, tons of tons of history and is in one of the most beautiful romantic places in the world. This was an accident and people are really upset about the fire. Um, here we have a beautiful church and neighborhood um, that is not under threat really for, for many reasons aside from needing some restoration or some changes. Um, and people are ready to rip this thing down. And so I kind of made that comparison. Um, and what I really came back to was that I think this is the worst lesson that we can teach our kids is that when something isn't working for you, you just strip it, you know, like just, just, just tear it down and build whatever you need. And, um, and I just thought this something like something has to, to somebody has to intervene here. And, um, 
and so I wrote, I wrote this article and I got lots of uh, attention for it just from, uh, you know, different shares. And I think Historic St. Andrews actually shared it. Um, and I got, I went to little get togethers and people would say, hey, are you the one that wrote that? And I was like, yeah, I did. Uh, did you write that article? It was just a Facebook post, but yeah, that was me. And so I started kind of getting pulled into, to, yeah, like this was my initial like pull into politics it was something like um I just felt passionate about because this was my background this was my history um and this is just like the stuff that I love and then all of a sudden I found myself like kind of surrounded by people that have considered themselves like invested in politics for a while um and there I had actually met other people who this was kind of like their first foray into the political realm and the only reason why they got involved was because they live right down the street and this is something they drive past every day and this is an asset to the neighborhood and um, I got married there or, or whatever um, and they realized they then subsequently got involved in learning more about schools because the school was involved and this is actually charter school so learning more about charter school so it was kind of this multi-dimensional thing um i became friends with a few people like i said that were are super involved in st paul politics and i just started slowly learning more shortly after that we started a group called st paul town hall that's a facebook group and slowly we built i think we have about 1400 members right now um it's a forum anybody is welcome to join you don't have to live in st paul but you have to have some kind of vested interest in the city um we talk about everything we talk about historical preservation we talk about safety um community safety especially is a huge issue right now um especially we talk about things that i don't understand we <laughs> um you know like i said my my four friends who uh who are co-moderators kind of have a better understanding of how the city works. And so I think I'm kind of like a good check and balance for them because everyone's while I'm like, I don't know how this works, like, or I don't know the history here. Can you tell me about what happened with this affordable housing unit or um, that, that type of thing? So- I, love, I mean, I love yeah. what you said so much because I think, and maybe I'm just speaking for myself, but I think this is a lot of people. I think when you say the word politics and when you start to think about national politics or things like that, it can seem big and scary and intimidating and what can one person do to change something. But like that story with your aunt, you know, potholes and garbage are very real and have an impact on us every day. And it can even seem intimidating to get involved in local politics because same thing, there are people who know a lot of things and I know so much and I know nothing. And so to even begin to start, you know, what you said is so important is just to find something that pisses you off or like <laughs> yeah. a little bit like that you can kind of grab onto and then just start asking questions and meeting people when we used to meet people but yep. forums too, and not being afraid to be the one thing. This is, I don't understand or how this works or asking lots and lots of questions because we need people at all levels with their passion starting to get involved in, you you're always have to be new at something. So you're gonna, you know, there's a learning curve and that's, that's okay. And we need, especially women and diverse voices 
stepping in where they're passionate because for one person it's right. art pres or you know historical historical preservation and for the next then they link onto charter schools and then the next they get on to affordable housing and what a ripple effect to just start to learn you don't need to know it all when you start no you just need to step yes exactly and I'm sure like as a mom you've probably felt like moved towards some type of advocacy because of whatever issue your kid is having you know I, I kind of see like a similar thing like I you know when when parents just say I never thought I would be at the capitol talking about something but it's because like you know something in your life has led you to really care about whatever it is um and that's kind of like where the 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 passion grows and where you start asking other questions and and that type and of you don't thing. have to know everything and you can be passionate a lot of things and not like you can just pick one because that's where right. I get like I'm like women's rights gun violence school education the healthcare system can you talk to me about insurance this is both like all this stuff yeah. and you're like, wait, wait, wait. okay just those are all right. important but just pick one and and start because it can feel big and daunting and overwhelming and oh totally and I think this this kind of brings up another thing like um we, of course, at the end of May, where I had been involved in this political stuff for, for in the scheme of things, a relatively short amount of time. Um, something changed for me when George Floyd was killed and all of these things started happening and, uh, it, you know, there were all these like food shelves popping up everywhere and um, some of it was because grocery stores were burned down and, and places that were already struggling to have food became what they were calling food deserts. And so um, there were just all of a sudden all of these opportunities that, to help in a very direct way. Um, and while there were like opportunities to drop off food, there was also like, oh God, race is an issue uh, right now, right here. Truth is race is always been an issue I'm just lucky I'm just privileged uh and and haven't it hasn't affected me in such a direct way so there was that, like there's some great yeah. quote about that that I don't remember the details of because I never do but it's just like if you can choose to not do something about it you're privileged essentially and that's very I mean like straight up I'm a white woman who you know I live in a safe house in a in a safe neighborhood and I I have the choice whether to step into these issues or out because I have white children my son is white he does not get assaulted or pulled over or you know there are very very real things that happen every day that just don't and it was very interesting to have this happen in our neighborhood and hear the helicopters and hear the sirens and see my children's fear every night and have them notice like mom and dad why are you locking the doors and why are we do you know why can't we play this game out front why do we have to be in back and that's not something I'm I'm safe every day in my life and for a couple of weeks you got to experience not at all what this feels like but just that glimpse of a different life and I think that cracks that open that illusion of you know it's not it's bad but it's not that bad or 
I mean, it just, and to hear my partner who's a white man and his different perspective of really struggling to even, you know, it just, I mean, there's just so much opportunity there, but the truth is that, I mean, I should speak to it. Like, I am so privileged that you forget because my life is hard too. Like there are hard things that happen all the time and you're so privileged. Right. And I will say, I, I say that all the time, even, you know, uh, I've had a really great life and I've been given a lot. Um, my mom bought my car for me, uh, and I felt guilty about that. And she said, it's my pleasure. I want to take care of you. And that makes me so happy and all that stuff. Um, I got to go to school. I have, you know, I live in a nice one bedroom apartment and, you know, I, same with you. I live in a neighborhood where I gen, generally feel safe. Um, and life is still really hard. Life is, life is hard. I, especially working from home. I've had some days where I'm just like, Oh God, I really want to see people. And I feel bad for myself. And, and as I've been reminded by many people, you're allowed to feel bad for yourself, even if you are <laughs> even if you have had a good life or you don't have it as bad as somebody else. Um, but I remember talking to one of my friends who, who was black. And I said, are you, are you okay? Uh, you know, after all this happened and it was just kind of like, Alex, things like this happen, you know, every every day. Um, that like, this is nothing new. Um, it just is on the news for everybody else to see for the first time. It has exactly all the time. Which and is I, also yeah. a huge awareness to start to grapple with. You know, there's all these conversations about white women right now. And that, it, you know, that is a thing of now it's our turn to do the work and it's uncomfortable and it is hard and there's no right answer and too bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, feel uncomfortable. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But that's such a good point, right? For like straight up for me, my life has been so good and, and, and it's so good. And there's been so much hard and heartbreak. Like these things are both true at the same time. Mm-hmm. And that one doesn't take away from the other, but right. yeah, there's a huge, I mean, I think now again, it's already faded a little bit of now it's the pandemic and you're sucked back into your own life, but these things are still there. And I think the the capital attack was again a huge blatant awareness to me of this huge racism issue that has existed for so long of just like they like people literally attacked the capital and it was like mm. <laughs> and whereas i saw some of the riot stuff and for them and it wasn't riots even the wrong word right i used the wrong word like for the protests the way they were portrayed on the news in my neighborhood, I was like, there was some scary stuff, but what I saw mostly was community coming together. Super inspiring. Yes. Super. And, 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 and like how out of the ashes do we create something? And it was portrayed as riots and violent. And there was some of that, but it, you know, like talking to my kids was these conversations of, do you ever just get so hurt and heartbroken that you like punch your sister or break our own house and you love your house and you love your sister but eventually you can't contain your, your pain or your heartbreak anymore. You have to, you know, explode. Mm -hmm. And and so it's just like to see it in the news again, more recently of like, (laughs) yeah, this magically go away. There is work to be done. Totally. And I will say, I, I regret, I, I posted 
after um, the uprising. And because I had had people reaching out to me like, are you in Minnesota? Are you okay? And um, at the time when most people are reaching out, it was just happening things were just happening in Minneapolis. And I said, oh, that's, you know, that's Minneapolis. Yep, yep, we're fine. Later that day, I, I saw things happening at the Midway Target, which is, of course, our target. This is where we go. This is just a, a, a mile or two from our house. And things got real, real, real to me. And businesses around me started getting closed and all this stuff. And so I did feel like a need to write kind of a, sta a statement or something after I kind of gathered all of my thoughts. And I said something like, this is not Minnesota. Um, we, you know, we, you know, I, I love, <laughs> like, we love black people. We, you know, like we are all for diversity. We're all for inclusion, blah, blah, blah. And I kind of regret saying this is not Minnesota because this happened here. And there are many people, as I've since learned, that realize that Minnesota is not a great place to be black. Um, and so I felt bad for saying that. Same thing happened when, with the insurrection at the Capitol, this is not America. Well, it is, like this, this happened here and there's a lot of America um, that apparently feels this way. There's a lot that doesn't, um, but what they did was, you know, <laughs> these are Americans. And, and they, are some of them will claim we're the most American. <laughs> yeah. So. And I think, I mean, I, I think that sometimes we can get so afraid of making a mistake that we don't take action. And I think the mistake isn't making mistakes. I think the mistake is not taking action, right? That we are always learning. I will always, you know, be falling on my face and misspeaking. And hopefully I, I'm thinking before I speak, but you learn and you grow. And then mm -hmm. the next time you do better because you know better. So I, I think sometimes it can be that like, well, now I don't even know what to say or how to step and how to, do I left, right, straight forward. <laughs> and again, this is like this discomfort is too bad for you. A little bit of embrace the discomfort, embrace speaking incorrectly and having someone use strong words with you. Like you have to get used to that. And, and then you learn and you grow and you try again. And you learn and you grow, like you just keep going. And so I think it's it's okay to feel uncomfortable. Get, you know, get stronger in your discomfort because we need voices. We need people right. imperfectly stepping. We need people standing up and you're not going to be perfect at it. And that's okay. I, yeah. oh, nope, sorry. Oh, I was going to say that's kind of an issue with the whole cancel culture movement. I get, I get where it's coming from, but I think we also need to give people some, some opportunity to learn and grow before we just say, I'm never talking to you again, or like you suck and you don't understand and all that stuff, because really things don't get better if we don't hear people out, even if they use the wrong word, <laughs> the wrong word. Um, well, and I think that again yeah. is our response. I think that is a responsibility of listening right I have my perspective and it's very real to me but I've also never been a man I've also never been you know a, a black person I've also never been I've never been in poverty I've never had to worry about where my next meal came from I've never been a farmer in rural Minnesota I've never lived in a small town I've never 
there are so many things. I've, I've never been an immigrant. I've never lost all my money after working a lifetime for it. I've, I mean, there's so many things I don't know that, yes, this cancel culture of listening, not to argue, but to understand, not because we have to agree, but this understanding of people. And for the most part, you know, when you attack, when you go on to a defense, people immediately defend, but I've had some beautiful conversations where in the end, we both still have our beliefs, but I have such understanding of that makes so much sense why you would think that way or why we would have different perspectives on this. And we've lost conversation. We've lost the humanity aspect of that. It's so extreme. Yeah. And I think I, one thing I'm looking forward to after this is all over, um, (laughs) (laughs) whenever that is, is like also being in a room with people and just kind of like, not just listening, but like feeling their body, like feeling what their body is, is giving off. Like if it's like a tense vibe or like a, a calmness or just kind of like feeling what it's like to be in a room and, and feel uncomfortable. Um, and have and have those kinds of uh, things that you can't necessarily get by being on a Zoom. Well, and that uh, too with social media and things like that, you know, on your Facebook forum, there's been a, I think, you know, I've noticed, I think that's hard to moderate those things because where is that line between respectful disagreement and passion versus just blatant, you know, I'm trying to think of the right word, but like, you know, being evil or being cruel or straight up racist or a really (laughs) fine line to not censor, but also create a safe space. And that that's hard to moderate. But I think on the, the internet, you know, we have a level of safety that is unfortunate because if I see you, if I see you with your partner, if I see you with another, you're a human being. Right. And when you're on a screen, there's this illusion of, you know, you're not a real person. So therefore I can blast you and not have to understand. And so I think it will be really nice to be in community again, to see people, to hear people, to listen to people and feel what they are feeling. And that will, I think I'm craving that, like how to get involved in community, but actually be in community, not just on, I think Facebook forums are great but also to be in community together. Right. To be there picking up the trash in the park and yeah. And to be there at the community meal or um, even just like being in restaurants with strangers that are your neighbors. Like that's a huge community thing of like a support that a lot of us don't feel comfortable doing right now. Um, So yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Can't wait. What would be like for someone who's interested in kind of dipping their toe in the water in getting involved in more local issues, mm-hmm. what is what are some tangible things that they could look into in their own community? Great question. Um, one thing that has been really cool for me, and this is again, like if you have the money to do it, I recommend it is like, I subscribe to the Star Tribune. And so I get, um, uh, I don't have the Pioneer Press, but I decided to break down for the Star Tribune. And so every day I get kind of like a, a daily update on like headlines of what's going on. And so some of them are national headlines, but then also some of them are just like 
hyper local. Um, and so just kind of like getting bits of, of uh, real info about what's going on in the Twin Cities is really, is really great because then you just kind of naturally see what's that story? What, you know, oh, there's a story about a new nonprofit opening. Oh, there's a story about a mural project happening. Um, how can I help? And you just well, kind of get, get not pulled in. tailored <laughs> to like the searches on your phone that draw you down your own rabbit hole, right? Like you're presented right. with a platter of yeah. news, a variety of news. And yeah. I always love print news, which I'm an environmental person, but there's something about paper where you read the article and then you're done. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like you, yes. you read it and you learn something new and I get the, what is it? The New Yorker. And I love it because there's something unrelated. Like I read an article about, um, it was talking about land rights and black history and how like, you know, people would just be hung because they wanted your land or how there's all these legal practices to steal your land be and that are just like part of the law to this day. And you're just like, what? <laughs> how yeah what is that I like I had my mind was blown I I yeah but I totally. think print is powerful in the local paper that's not at all what I thought you were going to say and that's brilliant <laughs> right like yeah. what's actually going on right in your community and not yep. just all the shit right like there's some there's good there are yep. people doing good things that's great I mean I one thing that I've missed out on is that I used to when I worked at the U I would drive down University Avenue every day and driving down University like you go through so many different parts of St. Paul and so many different parts of Minneapolis and you'd see new businesses open or you'd see a, a new billboard up or like I haven't had that lately and so when I you know when you have things like St. Paul Town Hall or um the Star Tribune or, you know, even just following like Fox 9 local news or whatever, um, you start to actually see kind of like tidbits of things that you might normally have seen had you been driving and working and doing all that stuff. Um, but I also would never be afraid to tell people like, if you enter a forum like St. Paul Town Hall or something like that, just say, I'm new at this. Uh, I've lived here for a while. I've never felt a reason to get involved, um, but I'm learning. And we really respect that because like you said, nobody has to be an expert on, any, on anything. And what you bring to the table as a mom and a business owner is a lot different and we need to hear your voice. Um, so it has been a challenge to get uh, people from various areas of the city, um, specifically like East Side, we don't have as much like representation. So what do we do to get more people involved? Um, it's, it's a struggle. And I think people are intimidated to join because they don't want to be told they're stupid or they're wrong. Um, and, and we do try to jump in when we see things like that um, because we don't want people to be um, scared away for just being new or you know I hate to use yeah. the word ignorant but like to be to be new at this whole thing um, but I do think people have to be taught to be respectful we live in this culture of run your mouth a little bit and especially if you're a person of a privileged background right you're not used to your perspective being 
the main perspective. And so that's a new feeling too, to have that challenge. And I think people push back, but there is a level of respect that we need to have for one another. But I feel for you moderators on that, because that's like, that's a fine line of censorship to no. Right. But I, I mean, I think there were some um, interesting conversations and all this that is really challenging us about um, like we belong to a CrossFit gym and there was some sexual harassment stuff with CrossFit. And I had to have a discussion with my husband of, you know, that's the main headquarters, the world headquarters, but we belong to a local gym and we know our owners, we know their families, we like, that's them. But I don't know that I can give money to an organization that allows this behavior. And so we're all having to have a lot of conversations about where do we spend our money and does like if this bajillionaire runs his mouth does that really matter for this and but I think you know conversation is needs to be respectful and inclusive and you know how do we invite others in and it's that's what we can do is invite invite others in and that's it right well I I it makes me think of i we have, of course, all these local neighborhood Facebook groups, and I, I look through a lot of them, or different things pop up on my feed, and and so one day I saw that a, a great local food truck was going to be coming to the area, and so I thought, oh, you know, like that, I'm going to post this on this particular page to let people know to come and support this um, this food truck. The woman who owns it. Um, is actually Hmong and she makes great food. And I thought, oh, like time to support uh, local business owners in general, but she's- And good food, because food is- Yeah, yeah, (laughs) because, yeah, she's also a person of color and what's what's wrong with that? What's wrong with like sharing that info? Um, So I got a lot of people going, oh, great. Thank you so much for letting me know, can't wait. I also got a lot of people saying like, basically how dare you post this um our local business our local local business owners are really struggling they hate food trucks and blah blah, you know and i just thought yikes talk about something i did not think was political really at all this is about supporting a local business who also has a brick and mortar shop who does a ton for the community by the way but it was a big lesson to me about who's okay to invite (laughs) um and who's not and also like just in that one just in that one what I thought was a relatively innocent post like a big life choice there's a food truck in the neighborhood (laughs) and I got some wonder and they have really great food and we can we just got their food the other day but um I just thought this is a huge wake-up call and I felt kind of discouraged because I felt like I got jumped on for, for sharing what I thought was a great resource to the community that doesn't come here all the time. Um, so anyway. That's a good point though. Yeah. Because whenever we choose to level up or step out or shift, there's always going to be resistance. And so that being centered on yourself, still learning and growing, like questioning, okay, was there some way I worded this? But also you know, we have to grow this tough skin a little bit of, I guess I always think of, I think of this just for myself of like, you need to be strong 
because there are others who can't. And that's your job. That's your privilege. And so it doesn't mean that it doesn't hurt. And that's not always what happens, but other people are in pain. Other people are struggling. That could have just been a bad day for them. Right. They're just not great people, but (laughs) you know, I, my job isn't to get everyone to like me. And frankly, I don't want everyone to like me, but there is this toughness that you have to like discomfort, get used to this feeling of, okay, that's part of, that's part of this advocacy is stepping out, being a little uncomfortable, being a lot uncomfortable. And people will, you know, you know, people make comments about me on other stuff, like how you can't, even at the playground, people be like, wow. And it's like, who gives a flying fuck? Like, I, <laughs> like, I don't need a random stranger's comment on my parenting. I am such a good parent. I am right. a perfect person. And so some of that is just when we're confident in those skills, they don't tend to hit us as hard. But right. when we're growing, when we're building new skills, that's when it does hit us of like, oh, is this really what I should be doing? Did I say the wrong thing? Did I? Right. And as you do it more and more and become more confident, people will rattle you less because you know, right. you like, you know it. You're like, yeah, yeah, sure. Okay, thanks for that. Like I can post about a <laughs> food truck in the neighborhood. And right. here's the other one, like, black culture right there is enough because one food truck has business does not mean your business gets none right and i also know i also know local businesses that get super excited when a food truck comes in the area and says oh my god it's so fun so it's just like i think i look back on that post now and i can laugh about it at the time it was just like jesus christ like get over you know like picking that people takes the word out of you yeah, it totally I, does. Yeah. I do think that's that same thing for artists or like, like I, there, if someone buys your artwork, it doesn't mean they're not buying mine, right? There's right. not like, it's just, <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll sort of wrap this up a little bit because that can unlock a whole nother conversation. <laughs> but yep. so why, why, you know, tiny question. Why does your choice, art matter or why, does being creative matter? Sure. Um, I, I think art, and this is like a question that always like gets me emotional when people ask things like that. Um, I think art can actually save people's lives. I've known people that it has saved. Um, I know, I know when I was going through a really tough time uh I was going through an eating disorder I remember like just having a really tough time and the one thing that got me through it was knowing like my mission on earth was not to be skinny like my mission is to make art um and so anytime I've kind of like gone uh gone through tough times um or gone through times when I'm feeling like I don't really need art right now or like um I I'm doing enough with my community advocacy I'm doing enough with my work work or just like surviving the pandemic is enough um I remember those times when I'm like I'm here one of the reasons I'm here is to make art and uh to not just brush it off as something like extra or or a privilege or whatever um do I think people who aren't eating should care more about art than eating (laughs) you know what I mean like 
in terms of uh, what you said is so important right it's not about art as your job it's not art as a profit it's about art for your soul it's about art for your spirit it's about art as and art can be anything right it can be creating something it can be but it's it's about I love that it said, you know, it was your healing. It, it you know, it's, it's expression of emotion, regardless of the outcome. Right, and it's and it's something to like, especially nowadays. And I I've struggled struggled with making art during the pandemic. It's really hard for me to focus on just about anything, um, and art is is something. But if you can just focus on like the paper and the pages in front of you and shut off your phone or put it in another room or um it is it is really magical and to have that that ability to to focus on something just like right in front of you right now without interruption um is really really special um it's been inspiring to see how many murals have have gone up during this time and even just some of the the things that uh popped up after George Floyd's murder, the the plywood that was decorated beautifully. Um, and then some things were just like powerful words written in spray paint. I mean, there's um, re- real value to that. And um, so that's kind of a, a long-winded, imperfect answer, but I, I will say like art saves lives. And um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love that. That's beautiful. I, um, you know, you see it too. So intuitively with little people that we haven't put all these messages on to how they move to music or they create with mud or rocks or sticks. And, and even my children, like when they go to play therapy, you know, it's not the therapy, it's the play, it's the creation, yeah. it's the emotion that gets to be an expressed in a way that words can't necessarily do or I think of I mean music for me is my thing but yeah I and photography like I see images and even just like I went and saw images like Pulitzer Prize images and they're huge and black and white and they just like oh they just take your breath away and that's right. something now I'm crying but <laughs> it, it connects to your your humanity in a way that in a different way than an expression of words can or a conversation can. And totally. I, you know, I think that's amazingly profound. And I think part of this solitude and loneliness is we're missing that external or just being out in the world and being able to participate in that and see it. And, and it's hard to create in the walls of your house. And Right. right. <laughs> I hear you. My next question is, we've talked a little bit about this, but what pisses you off? Oh my God. Wow. That's tough. Um, one thing that's kind of come up recently is uh, I, I really, when we were kind of talking about uh, parents wanting to give back and all that stuff, um, one of the things like that I think is super transparent or super important is to like be transparent about um, your like successes um, and and the things that you've you've done in your life um, and how people have helped you. So I think when people don't um, kind of give thanks and give shout outs to people that have helped them in along the way, um, like I know for instance right now. 
I couldn't buy the buy a house without the help of somebody. Um, and so when I see people kind of, you know, making making celebrations and and celebrating this success, not like giving credit to people that have helped them along the way. And this can be buying a house or buying a car. Um, or just finishing a community project that involves so many people um, and kind of like taking credit for it. That's really hard for me to stomach, especially these days. Um, that's, that's definitely one thing. Um, well, and I love that you shared a little bit about your journey as an artist too, because I know I personally have struggled with that you know, you see people and women and they're just one image. And logically, I understand that, but you're like, oh, they just like started their business or they started this and it left off or look at that one image or look at the beautiful artwork she creates. And she's just always so inspired. How does she right. always create, you know, like if I just look at your Instagram, you're just <laughs> this amazing artist, which you are that creates constantly, you know, like, you know, you can create this whole story in your head. Right. And so and I, to, yeah. to hear that, because that's just not how, there are no magical unicorns. That's not how it works. Right. Yeah. And I think that what I was getting at with, with your question and my answer too, is that we do see a lot on Facebook and we do see a lot on Instagram and if Twitter, if you do Twitter, um, of all these people that are doing great things and accomplishing so much in their lives. And it can feel like, Ugh, you know, like, I feel like I do nothing. But when people do break it down and say, I had a terrible day today, um, or the reason why this was such a success is because this person and this person and this person helped me along the way. Um, in terms of business owners, when business owners are able to say like, I asked for help because I'm bad with accounting and this accounting person really helped me. Um, yay, yay. Like we need more of that. Um, and so that's, that's, uh, one thing I, when I was starting my business, that gets me. <laughs> I thought it was kind of amazing because I, I'm, I shamelessly reach out to people. Like, I'm just trying to do this. I'd love to chat with you. You're more experienced than I am. And I think the one common theme among women who I, from the outside, I'm like, you're kind of impressive. I'm a little intimidated by you. <laughs> was they were like, I don't know, man, I'm just trying to figure shit out. It's really hard sometimes. And I loved their honesty about that because that's how it feels often right. when you're a business person or just a person yeah. to figure things out of like, this feels hard sometimes. And like, I don't know everything I should. And I'm always trying to figure it out. And literally no matter what age person I talk to, there was never anyone who's like, boom, I've arrived. I know <laughs> it all. I have my relationship figured out. I'm having amazing sex. My body's fantastic. <laughs> I poop regularly. Like, my, like, no, we're all just constantly evolving and on this journey. And so I think that I love, I try and do that because I love when other people do too, because there right. are so many people that get you to where you are. You don't do it on your own. And it's right. an imperfect journey. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Or even like what you're, you know, you post something and somebody says, you look great. And you say, thanks so much. I got this shirt at this local boutique or whatever. Just like a little shout out to like give 
give props to somebody else who like might be struggling or might be having a, a, a bad day or has kind of like supported you along the way or whatever. I think that's really important. Yeah. Um, same thing with giving photo credit. Like that's a huge one for me. Like I've had my pictures shared or copied or, um, and, and sometimes it's just like, it's amazing to see somebody shared your photo because that person has died. Like the person that you took a picture of has died um or so I it's weird that's happened several times to me where I'm like oh god I didn't expect this to get this news through like a photo that I took but um even if you have like engagement photos like give credit to the person like this is a gorgeous photo and this takes time and effort and uh they well, when you're an artist yeah right? that's how the word gets spread that's how right. yeah it's really important that's such a yeah. good point what gets you excited and what brings you joy Goodness. Um, I would say a uh, huge joy for su super simple answer, but uh, I just recently adopted a couple of guinea pigs. And <laughs> it sounds really silly to people. Like, well, I think when I told my parents, like, guys, I have some hands for you. Um, <laughs> you might want to sit down. No. Um, <laughs> I'm adopting guinea pigs. They were kind of like, like, why? I had guinea pigs, I had guinea pigs and hamsters growing up. So, and since then, like we had a dog in my house. And so like, we've moved up these levels of, you know, adult animal, animals that adults have. Um, and I adopted these guinea pigs. I rescued them from an organization called Minnesota Pocket Pet Rescue. Um, and I volunteer for this organization now because I just love the work that they do. Um, they are so funny. These guinea pigs are so funny. They have personalities they're like little mini dogs um in terms of like their love for treats and begging and they they need playpen time so they have time to run in their little playpen during the day um just especially during the pandemic um which is i got them in september just kind of being able to zone in on them and watch them eat or watch them play or take just like little one thing that they do um in the guinea pig world uh is if they're happy, they do this thing called popcorning. And popcorning <laughs> is basically like when they kind of move around, it almost looks like they're having a seizure sometimes. But it's usually if you've given them hay or they're in their playpen and they're really enjoying their playpen time, they popcorn and it's like, oh my God, whatever I'm doing, I'm I'm a good guinea pig parent because they're popcorning. Oh my um, gosh, I love that. Yeah. So that's one thing that that really brings me joy. Um seeing people do really great stuff for their community um, is a huge thing for me. Seeing people continue to make work, uh, artwork is a big thing. Um, just in simple things nowadays, like being out on a walk and seeing a dog, a dog, um, or a kid or whatever, just like any, any new kind of like signs of life and hope, um, especially these days are really important. Yes. Yes. Last <laughs> question for you. When was sure. the last time you were proud of yourself? Oh God. Last time I was proud. I would actually say yesterday I was helping a doctor with a CV and I was learning a um, kind of a new system. And a lot of what admins do is such like behind the scenes work. And I think most of the doctors like truly appreciate what we do and know it's not easy. Um, but I felt proud for being able to help this doctor. He's, he's going up for promotion 
And so I felt being able, like being able to do something that he is not an expert at, like, um, and frankly, I'm not an expert at, at this, at this point either, being able to like input info into the system and having him say like, thank you so much for your help, uh, made me feel really good about things. Um, and I think especially nowadays where like, we're very much just, you know, like far away from the, the work and, um, you know, it's not like before when I would have to walk through hospital halls and see kids and parents. Um, I felt very, very connected to what I was doing because, you know, there's a sick kid, there's a mom that has to take time off from work to be with her kid and worry and all that stuff. Um, I haven't felt that kind of like direct connection since I left the hallways back in March when everyone else had to. Um, so to be able to get just like little glimpses of like, thank you so much, or, you know, thanks for helping me. I couldn't do this without you. is just really, really good. Um, so I guess that gets back to my whole like credit question and, and giving people props for things, even little things. Um, thanks for washing the dishes. Thanks for, <laughs> you know, thanks for, you swept that floor so well. A love language. So you're like words of affirmation or whatever it is. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> well, thank you very much for taking time out of your day. <laughs> you're well, a podcast. Well, I really appreciate it. <laughs> I, I can tell you genuinely mean it even though I do, I do. <laughs> so where can people look up your artwork if they would like to check you out? And then where can people look up the St. Paul Forum if they're curious about that? Sure. Um, so you can look my my art up on Instagram. So it's the art of a prince. Um, so that's super corny, but it's easier to, to memorize a lot of other things. So at the art of a prince. Um, have to get that updated um, with more stuff soon. Got to get more uh, products out there, but that's where you can follow any updates. And then to learn more about St. Paul Town Hall, you can uh, just Google St. Paul Saint, I think it's just ST dot. This is a whole whole argument. Do we do S-A-I-N-T? Yeah. Um, St. Paul Town Hall. Um, and you can Google and join the group and just agree, or not Google, but search in Facebook to find the um, all the info and agree to the Facebook rules, which is basically like be respectful, um, be transparent if you work for an organization that we're talking about. Um, and that's about it. And we welcome everybody who loves and cares about St. Paul, business owners, residents, former residents, former St. Paul cops, like anybody that can offer some, some type of wisdom and cares about the city. And that's about it. Oh, and the pocket pets, not pets. Yes. So Minnesota, if you Google Minnesota pocket pets, um, you will learn about our rescue and told so many different roles um, by different people in the rescue. Some people foster animals, some people work on social media, which is what I help with. So making, making posts so that people are more apt to adopt or get involved in the organization. Um, we have lots of things that we need help with. We need donations for food, donations for um, gift cards and um, 
and just basically even just people sharing posts like, hey, I can't take on a rabbit right now, but who likes rabbits? Who's been thinking about getting a rabbit? Um, just things like that. You know, power of social media, hamsters, guinea pigs, um, uh, gerbils. Gerbils have been found on hiking trails and they end up being, um, fo being fosters in our rescue. And so in some cases, it's just rescuing somebody from uh, you know, having too many guinea pigs. <laughs> uh, other times it's like, these animals were found in a hallway or they were found outside and they're not meant to be outdoor animals and yeah. uh, let's get them, give them a happy life. They can have, what did you call it? They can popcorn in your home. Yeah, they can popcorn in, in <laughs> your home. So, well, perfect. Yeah. Thank you very much for joining me today. You are so welcome. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Fierce Joy Podcast. So now what? You have to take action. Nothing changes if you don't change something. Take one tiny insight and do something with it today or even better, now. Make it easy, obvious, and of course, as enjoyable as possible. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out. I friggin' love this stuff. You can connect with me on Instagram at Anastasia Galka Health Coach or on my website at AnastasiaGalka.com. If you're feeling stuck or like it's time to make a change, I offer a totally free 30-minute coaching session to get you started. I'd love to hear from you. And hey, if you know someone that this episode would be helpful for, please make sure to share it with a friend and get the word out. Thanks.